Tyler Smith here with another more than one lesson mini-sode. So we're doing, I I introduced this uh, before with Reed in which we talked about uh, the Princess Bride. We're continuing our our mini-sode series about uh, the more than one lesson listener voted top 50. Uh, And today we're talking about number 49, which is Singing in the Rain, but we'll get to that in a moment. First, I wanted to let everybody know that this mini-sode is sponsored by Faith Life TV, uh, which features TV shows, films, documentaries, sermons, uh, all kinds of things that uh, that Christians would enjoy watching and find very uh, illuminating. And so I was, I was looking through their catalog uh, to see what uh, interested me and stuff that I would like to watch. And one of them is a documentary. It's 90 minutes long. It's called future of the church. Uh, I will read the description here. When you hear the phrase future of the church, what comes to mind? Uh, this film chronicles a three year journey of 80 interviews with pastors and church influencers from across America in their journey to find the formula for a fragmented and dying church. The two filmmakers find themselves getting closer to a much bigger answer. I find that interesting, uh, because when it talks about a fragmented, fragmented and dying church, it is, I assume that they are speaking primarily about Western and I mean, in Europe, it's, it's not that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't have really any sway at all in the U S it definitely is on the decline, but in Africa and South America, like Christianity is, is, uh, growing like crazy. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they say about like, why in the U.S. specifically um, it is uh, on the decline. I have my own theories, but I'll hold off on that uh, until I watch the film. But anyway, so that is just one of many films that is available at Faith Life TV. And if you go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the Faith Life ad, you will get your first month for free after that. It is only $4.99 a month. So thank you very much. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest. It's Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. What were you were looking at something on your phone? Clearly, I surprised you. No, no. By saying your name. What are you talking about? I don't have a phone. Uh, all right. Fair. Oh, that's right. I forgot. You're doing this whole Amish thing. Um, that's what the beard's for. Exactly. And the pitch for. Let me ask you this. Sure. In regards to the Amish. Okay. Why not? Why no mustache along with the beard? Uh, There's probably a reason for that, right? There must be. Um, maybe it's too fancy somehow. They don't do buttons. They don't do buttons. There are certain. It's all things, hooks, right? Yeah, yeah. For some reason, there are certain things that they consider. Uh, I, I was going to say mechanical. Certainly, the mustache is probably sure. not considered yeah. <laughs> mechanical. But uh, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know mine is. This be. is all fiber optics. Oh, really? Oh, that's um, that's a that's a good uh, fiber optic mustache. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, it, it always, because I remember when I was younger, I just thought like, oh, well, they just don't shave for whatever reason. I thought, mm-hmm. well, no, they do shave they their do mustache. Shave a little bit. So I can't figure it out. Listeners, if you know the answer, just post it in the comments here. And don't be snarky. I'm asking for real. All right. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just curious. 
Um, okay, so now real quick, uh, something that uh, uh, listeners might be wondering is, uh, why are we doing this series? Um, and why are we not continuing with the Best of Picture series? Here's why. We are going to continue with it, but uh, there are now two movies in a row that I have not gotten the chance to watch, uh, which is Hamlet and Gentleman's Agreement. And I will watch them at some point, but our friend Josh could very well be going out of town for two months. You'll be heading to Hawaii. And so uh, if we have any listeners in Hawaii that want to, you know, hang out with Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. That's and, right. And uh, he loves hanging out with people he doesn't know for long <laughs> periods of time. Isn't that right? As long as no one's talking. Just, just sitting in silence with a just stranger, staring into each other's eyes. Oh the yes, whole you time. can't break. Uh, you can't eye break. contact. Yeah, that's just that's a rude. blink every ten seconds will be uh, permitted. Yeah, that's acceptable. Barely, but um, <laughs> it's, it's accepted but frowned upon. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so yeah, I didn't. Uh, I I wanted to try and get those movies watched before Josh left, but I wasn't able to because I was I wound up having a whole lot of other screenings I had to go to. Um, so yeah, but I didn't want two months without, uh, a mini soda of some kind. So, uh, so that's what we're doing here with the, uh, going through the more than one lesson top 50. And when Josh gets back, we're just going to kind of go back and forth with, uh, the best of pictures and the, the top 50. And so that you will always have something to listen to, but okay. Today, we are talking about number 49, Stanley Donan's and Gene Kelly's Singing in the Rain, a movie that, Josh, I know you enjoy. <laughs> that is correct. All right. <laughs> I also enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Uh, Goodbye, everyone. Uh, Faith Life TV. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a movie that I actually, for a long time, did not like that much. I didn't dislike it, but it certainly... I didn't find it very entertaining. Um, I respected its use of color and I could of course acknowledge the, the, the dancing sequences as really amazing and virtuosic, but I didn't find the story very compelling. I didn't find the characters very compelling and I didn't laugh that much. Hmm. Um, I think I may have just seen it at the wrong time. Uh, I think I saw it in high school and just wasn't really ready for it. And as I've gotten older, I've seen it uh, a few more times and I think I really, I'm not sure if I'd say I love it, but I really, really like it now. And I at least have a, a deeper understanding of what it's trying to do. Hmm. Um, but I think you like it more than I do, which is interesting because by and large, you are not a musical fan. Yeah, I'm generally not. And there's, there's something about, about this one. And actually I've more recently, um, I've gone and, and I've been able to see more Stanley Donovan movies that I hadn't necessarily that I hadn't gotten to before. And I've liked almost all of them, all mm -hmm. of his musicals. So I think there's something I like about the way he directs a musical, yeah. the way he uses a camera, um, again, the use of color and kind of swinging in and out of the abstract in a way that seems to work very, yeah. in, in a very fluid way. Um, yeah, it, it makes it kind of makes the world of a musical seem. Uh, there's less of a suspension of of uh, disbelief. I think you have to do somehow with with this type of musical. Right, like it's interesting by playing into the 
surreal quality of it and the otherworldly quality of it, uh, it's all just so much more acceptable. Mm -hmm. Whereas even though I do like sound of, I I would say I love sound of music and I really like West Side Story and some of the other musicals that we've uh, talked about on the Mm -hmm. show. Um, those are a situation where the characters live in a world ostensibly similar to ours, but there is this notable difference with that they will burst into song uh, and choreography and that sort of thing. And it can be jarring and it takes a moment to get used to. Whereas this, because it seems to take place in a heightened kind of reality and the fantasy sequence are very sequences are very clear when they are fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I see what you mean. It's, it's just somehow easier to accept. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I also find interesting is from a, they don't feel, maybe you'll disagree. I don't know. The fantasy sequences certainly do, but I feel like the other musical sequences don't feel particularly polished. Hmm. They feel they're still impressive, but they also seem much more improvised. Hmm. Uh, of course they're not right. But like the Donald O'Connor make them laugh sequence, it just seems like someone said, okay, Donald go get them. But of course yeah. that's not the case, but it seems like it. Yeah. I think there are some that are like that. I think that's one of them, but I, I to me, it feels like more of them are more put together or at least maybe, maybe it's just the ones that are sticking in my mind. Like now, like the, the, the good morning one is one in my head that feels sure. it feels very well organized, but yeah. still having a feel as if they're just kind of doing a lot of these things off the cuff. Right. Which is a, is a, I think a trope sort of for, for fifties and sixties musicals. It really is. Um, and which is not a thing I realized until I read a paper about it in school, um, that, and it was a fascinating paper. I don't, I, I should look up who wrote it. Um, I don't know if I still have a copy of it, but it's maybe, maybe my favorite paper that I read, uh, in school that, you know, musicals of that time had to, ha- had to give some kind of impression that things were improvised, mm-hmm, which yeah. is why for example, the make them laugh sequence is behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like these characters are in show business, but that sequence is not a function of their show business. It's just his own thing. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that people will sometimes grab a broomstick and dance with it. Right. Like it needs to give the impression that it's it's impromptu. Right. And that it's just kind of using the, uh, the props in the space, like the, uh, uh, Moses supposes his toes is a rose. I don't know what the whole title of the actual song is, but, uh, um, that's another one where they, they take stuff in the doctor's office and they play with it and things like that. Um, another notable Stanley Donnan one is, uh, is it Donan or Donnan? I actually don't know. I've been saying Donnan, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's hard to say if he had, I wish he had another N in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, then I would know. Maybe I'll look it up while we're Stanley talking. Donan, Stanley. Yeah. I've said, I've actually um, said it both ways and I never know how I'm going to say it next. <laughs> um, but, uh, in funny face, which I saw not that long ago for the first time and really enjoyed, uh, there's a great Fred Astaire number where he, uh, had, does a dance number in like a, a courtyard with an umbrella and just the stuff mm-hmm. that he does with the umbrella and, and yeah. all that is it again, it's as if it's impromptu because he just happened to have it at the time. Yeah. But it's at the same time, clearly very well choreographed. Yeah. And one of the reasons, or at least academically, one of the reasons that this happened is because 
the movie musical, like the Hollywood polish of the movie musical was something that it was thought would turn audience, certain types of audiences off because musicals before that stage musicals were sort of part of the, uh, not burlesque vaudeville. Mm, Um, not officially vaudeville because that was just comprised of a, a lot of smaller acts, but musicals and musical sequences were seen as sort of a small town type of thing. And to just have them be overly polished, which we saw with some musicals in the 1930s, um, would just kind of turn audiences off, especially hmm. for this thing that had such a, gra- uh, a, a grassroots quality to it. And so by faking the impromptu nature of it hmm. and letting the audience see what could be happening behind the scenes, even though consciously they know this was planned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it allowed us to suspend our disbelief a little bit more, even though it's again, clearly choreographed. It was a very interesting paper. I was, I was very yeah, happy that, that I read it. Uh, and it helped me to see musicals more as a genre, which I don't see them as a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a thing that David and I have said over at battleship pretension for a long time that when people say musicals are a genre, it's like, okay, well, what are the themes of it mm-hmm. and what do they look like? What's the iconography of it? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're very different. You know, yeah. singing in the rain this me- if there's the same genre, that means Singing in the Rain is the same genre as Little Shop of Horrors and Cabaret and Sound of Music and Sweeney Todd. Like, mm-hmm. y- those are all very different from one another. Yeah. But when you, re- when you look at, when I read that article <coughs> and it was talking about the type of thought that had to go into at least the early musicals, mm-hmm. um, the one we watched was called meet me in St. Louis, which is actually really good. Is that, uh, Judy Garland. Judy Garland yeah. yeah. Um, like those early musicals, they put like there, there was a fair amount of thought put into it on that level that mm-hmm. all of them seem to share. So it's like, okay, that, that is an argument for musicals as a genre. Yeah. And we see it in singing in the rain as well. Yeah. Or at least a certain segment of musicals. Yeah. Cause, uh, something like a cabaret sticks out as very different to me. But even little shop of horrors has some of those same qualities, I think in yeah. it's, it's like throwback nature. But anyway, um, by the way, Wikipedia says spells it out like D a W N Donnan. So, okay. Got it. That's if Wikipedia is to be believed, which it is by the way, <laughs> oh, okay. that's the other thing is that like, <laughs> you know, if you and I are going to be, uh, pro free market that we need to try to believe <laughs> Wikipedia because, uh, it does correct things pretty quick. That is true. Yeah. It's hard to keep something wrong on there for very long. There is a, uh, <laughs> there's an episode of never not funny in which they were talking about a certain celebrity for, uh, I think a golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but Jimmy Pardo was saying that he's really short and then they looked it up on Wikipedia and it said he was five, seven and Jimmy Potter's like, he goes, he's lying. <laughs> and so some listener for a day, like it lasted one day, some listener went into Wikipedia and then when it said height, he, it said five, seven, but he put a little asterisk and then it said he's lying, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it lasted one day and then somebody else took that off. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, I was going to go back to something and I have forgotten. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, that's all right. The sound of music. No, nope. <laughs> let's sing it in the rain. Oh, singing in the rain. Yeah. Um, we were talking about some of the different 
just just talking about some of the different musical numbers and yeah. um I uh you know it is a I don't know why exactly but the type of dancing and maybe it's because of the sort of choreography that Gene Kelly does and the sort of presence that he sure. presented um it's a very different feel than like dance numbers today yeah like new dance numbers is the wrong way to say this, but the, the best I can, I can, the way I kind of think of it is in my mind is that he gives off a very like manly dancing presence. It is weird that like he and, and Fred Astaire was even a little, he was kind of slight. Sure. Yeah. But that these two guys, yeah, that dancing was a, a perfectly acceptable thing for like a man to do. Right. And, and I feel like. I, it's definitely changed over time. I think like, mm-hmm. it's it's more acceptable now, but it's it's almost like it looks different. It's almost like I feel like dancing now in films is more like it's okay for males to do things that are a little feminine, sure, like dancing, sure. Um, whereas it seemed to me that those ones felt like a very masculine dancing. At least Gene Kelly's stuff did. Yeah, you know what? I feel like there's almost a weight to the way that he danced. Mm-hmm. A lot of dancing that you see now, they seem to emphasize, and it's still, of course, a, an amazing skill. But, totally, right. But it almost seems weightless. Yeah. Like everything is as light as a feather. Hmm. And, you know, you watch it and you feel like this is, I don't know how they how they do this. Whereas I feel like Gene Kelly, this is what I mean when I say that some of the dancing choices seem a little bit impromptu. And it's hmm. partially because... Or, or they seem less polished and it's because, you know, let's say Gene Kelly weighed 180 pounds. Like mm-hmm. I know that, like, I feel that is a 180 pound, pound man dancing. Mm-hmm. Like the way that he, the way that his feet hit the pavement or something like that, it seems more just like, like you said, a man doing a really amazing dance as opposed to, yes, a lot of dancing that I've seen, whether it be on stage or in film now, it seems almost ethereal. Like these aren't. Yeah men or women, but they're, sure, they're just yeah. like these, these almost different human, different types of beings. Whereas yeah. this is like, yeah, I'm Gene Kelly and get ready for some dance. Right. And I don't mean that to say either that I think there's a problem that there's not enough masculine dancing in modern dance. No, like, not I don't, at all. I don't, and again, I don't know a whole lot about modern dance. So someone who does yeah. know more might say, you're totally wrong about that. Yeah. That's a whole movement, whatever. Um, that could be the case. But I think I'm just going off of what I've seen in movie musicals. That's right. probably more what I would, yeah. uh, um, cause even in, um, man, names have really been escaping me recently. I want to just get it. Mama Mia. Nope. Uh, Les no, the, the Coen brothers one that just hail Caesar, hail Caesar. Yeah. I just rewatched that, uh, the, um, dance number with Channing Tatum. The, yeah. That is <laughs> clearly super a, homoerotic. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, totally. But it's, it's clearly a throwback to, um, uh, to like something like on the town. Yeah. Which is another Stanley Donovan one, but, uh, and maybe because that's intentionally supposed to be jokily homoerotic. Yeah. Maybe that's why it doesn't seem, but even that doesn't, it feels like it's supposed to be like faux manly and it still doesn't have that same, Gene Kelly feel to it somehow. I don't know. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, 
and Channing Tatum is a very talented dancer. Yeah, like yeah, totally. in Magic Mike, it's a very different type of dancing. Sure. But then in stuff like this, he's just a very physical person and is a, a kind of a big muscular guy. Yeah. But even he seems to be dancing in a, in a in a different way. Yeah. So I do wonder if it's just the way dancing has changed over the years. It could be. Or at the same time, it could be just something specific about Gene Kelly that he had something yeah. to him and the way he danced and the way he choreographed that was just very unique and yeah. um, that was just unique I should say not very unique uh, you know what here's the thing <laughs> I've heard that before and I don't agree with it oh really one in ten is unique okay one in a hundred is very unique okay alright one in a million is extremely unique hmm. okay right I mean maybe Maybe that's an improper, maybe the one in using it for one in 10 is maybe an improper use of the word unique, but if it's creeped into the, uh, the, uh, way people talk enough, then maybe the specification is necessary. What do you think's a bigger deal? Unique or rare? I don't know. Like if we were to assign one of them to one in 10 and one to one in a hundred, which would it be? I think I really I'd go know. unique one in 10 really? and rare one in a hundred. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, yeah. And what's interesting about, about Gene Kelly as a dancer and as a choreographer is that, yes, he has these, these kind of, for lack of a better term, weighty dances, but then he also in this and certainly in an American in Paris has these long sequences that are, a bit more weightless. They are, mm-hmm. they're, they're almost full on ballet at that yeah. point. And which I think was, you know, to my knowledge was something he wanted to bring to yeah. movie musicals. He wanted to bring ballet into the movies. Cause yeah. it, it, the two hadn't really had much overlap. Thus making him one of the most fascinating people in Hollywood history, yeah. because his, his sensibilities as an actor were very, uh, there was a certain cynicism mm-hmm. and like a world weariness and a wry quality to it. Nothing about that persona suggests, Hey everybody who wants to dance some ballet with yeah. me. <laughs> um, but like clearly he's somebody who really valued dance as a concept mm-hmm. yeah. and really wanted to, to play it up. Uh, in in the films that he had any kind of power over. Yeah, the more I found out about him, there are so many unexpected things. One of them being that he showed up totally to my surprise in uh, a the French film Young Girls of Rochefort. Young Girls of Rochefort, which yeah. he's fantastic in, but I didn't even yeah. know he was in it. And then in the opening credits, I'm like, wait, Gene Kelly's in this, and yeah. he's great in it. Yeah, and he's not. He's he's like a featured player, certainly. Right, supporting he's not. He's not a, a lead at all. Um, but uh, but that's a great film, also. And then there is, uh, in the film, I believe another Stanley Don film, It's Always Fair Weather, introduced mm-hmm. to us by our friend Scott. Yeah. Uh, there's an extended sequence in which he dances on roller skates, mm. and it is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Like, you would think that he would try to limit himself. Like, all right, I'm dancing on roller skates. Let's have this be like 30 seconds, <laughs> and I'll try to be, you know, I'll try to be realistic about it. No. This is a huge four minute sequence and I don't know how he does it. It's astonishing. But anyway, um, and yeah, and I think, uh, certainly if you're a fan of film history, I think you will enjoy, um, singing in the rain because it's all about the, the change from silent to sound. Yeah. And, uh, 
and out of that, one of the probably one of the best movie characters ever, Lena Lamont, <laughs> comes uh, out of it. And Gene Hagen was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress yeah. uh, for that character. And she's a villain, but also really pathetic. I yeah. mean, she's somebody who, yes, she's very high on herself because of the the fame that she ha- has received as a. Uh, a silent actress and then suddenly her voice matters and mm-hmm. she isn't famous. And while she is, you know, she's not opposed to blackmail and all that sort of thing. There is something about, yeah, the industry is going to tell her yes, 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 yes. Up until it realizes I don't need her anymore. Mm-hmm. So get ready for a bunch of no's. And I find it, I, she gets her comeuppance and I, you know, it's satisfying, but I do also find it kind of sad Mm -hmm. because a lot of people did not make the transition from silent to sound and they probably weren't jerks. Mm -hmm. That was because I saw this movie for the first time when I was a little bit younger. I think that was my first introduction to that concept, even that suddenly silent stars who didn't have voices that were good enough, weren't, uh, that couldn't stay in the business. Um, and you saw it in the artist as well, where his voice is fine, but he has an accent, Mm -hmm. you know, one of, one of the best actors of the silent era is Emil Yannings. And Mm -hmm. aside from his reluctance to, uh, denounce, Hitler, which is not great, (laughs) but he was an astonishing actor Mm -hmm. and, and when everything was silent, he was a worldwide actor. And then suddenly like, Oh, just German, huh? Okay. I don't speak English. Yeah. Marlena Dietrich made herself speak English and Emil Yannings tried and it just didn't really work. And he just kind of faded away. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because if he'd been able to, to make that transition, I think his career could have been very very Charles Lawton in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but yeah, but yeah. So the, uh, I TA'd for a film history class at, at uh, UCLA, a couple of quarters in a row. And the first film that we watched was singing in the rain. Oh, cool. Just even though we, we tended to watch movies in chronological order and sure. this certainly wasn't, but yeah. it was kind of to introduce the, the, transitional nature of sound from sound uh, from silent into sound. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so, uh, to, to move on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great film now. Uh, it's, I mean, it was a great film then, but like, it's a great film and, and I like it a lot now because on top of everything else, the filmmaking, like you said, I believe you use the word fluid. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a real fluidity to the, to the filmmaking that yeah. I think is very satisfying. And it probably helped for me that when I watched it in that class, it was on a very, very large screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think it's a film that benefits from that. I think so too. And I've never gotten to see it on, on the big screen, but I definitely would enjoy that. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, so much of dancing is by nature spectacle. Mm -hmm. So to be able to see it bigger and brighter would always help it. I think. Yeah. So the film is number 49 on the more than one lesson, top 50 movies of all time list. Uh, and so one of the things that I liked about this list and, and one of the reasons that I even started it in the first place is because I was curious to know, you know, I know that my listeners, pardon me, Josh, 
our listeners. Oh, thank you. Um, that they are big movie fans. Mm-hmm. And I know that, yes, the majority of our listeners are Christian, but certainly uh, they're not all Christian. Yeah. Um, but listening to this show and being a fan of this show, I feel like is going to skew things a little bit and people are going to think in terms of faith. So like, what would it look like for a majority Christian audience to vote for the 50 best movies of all time? And certainly as, as you move up the list, including number one, um, I think you see some of the, some of the influence, whether people mean it or not, uh, or where, or whether they're conscious of it or not. Um, and, and as we get to movies like that, we will comment on them. But I do think that Singing in the Rain being on any top 50 list is to be expected. It's I not at so. all uncommon. Yeah, it's it's uh, not only is it a classic old Hollywood one, it's if you go back to the old musicals, if you're not thinking like, you know, the newer 70s or post 70s stuff, I, I feel like it might be the most well-known one or the most most watched one possibly. Yeah. It's, I'd say this or sound of music or West side story. Yeah. Probably. Um, which I don't remember do all or do, do either of those others show up on this list? I don't actually remember. Um, they might, but now I, but now I don't recall because mm-hmm. I do in, mentally, I do get it mixed up with the battleship pretension top hundred yeah. list, which was also listener voted. Right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, listeners, if you haven't seen singing in the rain, seek it out. It's great. See it on as big a screen as you can with, uh, ideally a good sound system as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, just, uh, just enjoy. But, uh, okay. So the next one we will be talking about number 48 will be, uh, Yasujiro Ozu's Tokyo story, which uh, could not be further <laughs> from singing in the rain in any possible way. So, uh, that'll probably go up in a couple of weeks, not next week, but that's the next one we're going to be doing. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye.